Welcome to Anagamers Podcast, episode 41, recorded on Sunday, October 21st, 2012. I'm your host, Evan Minto, and today I have two very special guest hosts. First is Rachel Pandich. She's an indie comics writer and the creator of Aspire, published by Movement Comics. Uh, her work has also been published in the all-female comics collection, Womanthology. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Hello. And also, Kate, also known as Narutaki, is one half of the anime and manga blog duet Reverse Thieves, where she also co-hosts the Speakeasy podcast. And Kate has been a frequent guest in previous episodes of the Anagamers podcast. Welcome back, Kate. Hi! So today, we're going to talk about comics. Not just any comics, though. We're, uh, we're going to be discussing Western comics that appeal to anime and manga fans. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean manga-style comics. Uh, we're going to talk about series that might have a very different style from manga, but are great introductions to comics for anime and manga fans looking to check out non-Japanese stuff. But first, speaking of comics, Rachel and Kate, you guys went to New York Comic Con this year, which I unfortunately was not able to attend. Are you jelly? Go? I am super jealous, yes. I had lots of work at school, and I just couldn't justify a weekend down in New York not doing work. It was insane. It was my first time there, and oh. down here in the South, when you go to the Southern panels for like MegCon or Heroes Con, you get there five minutes early, that's no problem. I got there 10 minutes early for a panel on the professional day, which is the quote-unquote slow day, and they're like, nope, we're filled up, can't go in. If you didn't get to the panel 30 minutes early, mm. you were SOL. Wow, it was your first one. I love hearing about first, first con <laughs> stories. Those are my favorite. This was my fifth, I think, uh, New York Comic Con, so it was fantastic. I thought it was the best year ever. It was great. Really? Yeah. Uh, so... When I went, you know, I've gone for the past couple of years, uh, and I remember last year, it felt like the there wasn't really much of like a fan influence on the programming and stuff. It felt like everything was very industry centric, uh, and I don't maybe it was it's been like that for a while. But I know like the New York Anime Festival, which has now been completely folded into Comic Con, uh, was much more fan centric. And then you know going and sort of going to Comic-Con where everything was all like, you know, industry panels kind of felt a little weird and I didn't feel, I wasn't too excited about a lot of the panels. Is that still the way it was this year? Yeah, it's still very industry um, based. I guess I just go into it thinking of it as being very different from AnimeCon. Like I go to right, AnimeCons, right. you know, and I kind of know what I'm going to get there and expect there. And then I go to Comic-Con and I know what I'm going to get and expect there. So I guess I, right. you know, change my expectations a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, well, with with comic conventions, they usually, with all of them, doesn't matter if they're small or big, you have the industry people, if they are there, announcing their next big thing because they want you to mm. go buy it. It doesn't matter if it's uh, Arcaea going, hey, we got a new Dapper Men coming out, or if it's Titmouse with um, Cartoon Network going, hey, we got a new cartoon coming out. So it's it, Comic-Cons have become promotional. It doesn't matter if they are right. small like Heroes, where it's only comic books, or if they've grown to New York and San Diego size, where there's a lot of uh, different medias there, too. Whereas at the anime cons, the few that I have gone to, there's a lot of fan-based stuff, and, and those are fun. Right. But I went to New York for business, which, um, yeah, so I went to a lot of the professional panels and met with editors and did some cold pitches. And, right, right. Yeah, it became very fruitful. For me, um, I got some very good emails over the weekend, Friday and Saturday. So, did, yeah. did you have a table at the con? No, I got a pro pass and I was walking around. And um, the Comic News Insider podcast had me at their table for a couple of hours during the weekend. 
but I was mostly going to the industry panels on um, basically the networking ones and talking, like I said, talking to editors and um, got to meet some cool people like Lloyd Kaufman. Um, hopefully if things pan out, I will be working with them in the next three years. Um, so yeah, a lot of really good things. I did go to two panels for fun. I went to the Titmouse panel because I wanted to ask if there's going to be a new season of Motor City. And I did go to the Rosa Versailles screening and that was really fun. I was at both of those things as well. Titmouse's, um, response about Motor City, I didn't think was very positive. <laughs> no, I did not like the whole, we got, we got the funding to write the scripts, but not to animate. That really upset me. I was the one in the white trench coat that asked that question if there was going to be a second season. Aha! I, I'm not familiar at all with that show, Motor City, but a bunch of people have been talking about it on Twitter, especially, you know, in relation to the New York Comic Con events. What is it? You guys want to describe that? I'm sure some listeners don't know what it is. Motor City is just the best show ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, you know, Detroit has gone to hell. Surprise. And this... Uh, this mogul, he, he's decided, his name's Kane, that he's going to build a new Motor City and make it better for everyone. By better for everyone, he means better for the rich folk. So he basically has this um, fascist-type society built on top of old Detroit. And old Detroit is Detroit, um, is Motor City. And um, I almost said Detroit now, so that's a completely different thing. <laughs> That's a crossover waiting to happen. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so Motor City, uh, you have these gangs because, you know, poverty induces gangs. And there's this one gang called the Burners. And it's all fast cars and heavy metal, but they're out just to do the right thing. They're just trying to survive. And um, it's basically Kane's trying to kill everybody down in Motor City constantly. And the Burners are like, nope, we're going to stop you, stupid white man. And yeah, that, that's that's pretty much it. And like Motor City is kind of this bastion of people who have ran away from Deluxe, which is like the upper yes. half. So is this is this a kid show or like a teen show? Like what's it? It's on kind of aimed at? Disney XD. Okay. Yeah. So I think that it's geared more towards preteens and teens. Mm. But um, I know my seven year old nephew's watching it. So okay. it, there's some pretty heavy themes in there that they deal with but they do it in a way that kids can enjoy it and adults can enjoy it. Hence why there's such a huge range. And I find it interesting that this was like something that they thought that guys would have. Cause they talked a little bit about at the Titmouse panel, how they originally pitched this for an MTV thing. And they're like, yeah, this is like really male centric because of all the cars and blah, blah, blah. I would say about 80% of the people in the Titmouse panel were Motor City female fans. And most of the hmm. people asking questions about Motor City were female as well. So, yeah, wow. That's. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like uh, a lot of these these shows recently have, you know, like the the target audience that they're aiming at has totally not been the one that they've gotten, like with the My Little Pony stuff. Right. You guys buy any cool stuff? I bought a lot of books. I bought a like there was a lot of early releases from Image of like their um their graphic novels. So I got the Saga graphic novel while I was there. Oh yeah, we're gonna talk about that later. <laughs> I got the Mind the Gap one, and um, Jim McCann was just sitting right there, and I could get it signed. It was really, I, I had a great time. I know that, like, again, anime fans seemed a little bit disappointed with what was going on, but I was really pleased. Uh, I thought that they had amazing manga guests. Oh, yeah, well, right. They had uh, Moyoko Ano. She was amazing. Right. 
And <laughs> she her, her panel was great. She was really talkative. She was really engaging during the autograph sessions. You know, she'd talk to you and remember you if you were at the panel. I mean. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. she was she was really great. So the crowds, more or less crowded than last year? More. More. Oh, that I probably would have just flipped out then because I can't stand the crowds in, in Comic-Con. Like, I couldn't stand them last year, so this year I would probably have just freaked out. Oh, yeah. If you have claustrophobic issues, Saturday was not the day to be there at all. I think, um, was it News or Wrong? One of the Comic News websites reported that just Saturday alone was like over 100,000 people. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm not claustrophobic, but I just get like one of my biggest pet peeves is is people moving really slowly in crowds and so I start to get extremely pissed off when I'm stuck in like a giant con crowd like that. I I feel like I know on Saturday like never I don't go to the show floor at all on Saturday. I stay completely mm. away and I pretty much like sequester myself in the panels section right. and I was actually really surprised that um, I didn't have trouble getting into any panels that I wanted to go to as long as oh, I was wow. there, like at least 30 minutes early, even on Saturday, mm. which I thought was really good. Um, I didn't try to go to the IGN theater, which I'm, I heard was a big, like crazy. Oh right. yeah. Anything that was shown in the IGN theater, if you weren't there an hour early, you weren't seeing it. It was insane. So I just yeah. said, no, forget that. Yeah, that entire idea, like, I, I've mostly been going to anime cons, you know, I, I very rarely go to comic cons other than New York, so, like, that whole idea of having to wait, and even a half an hour for, you know, routinely waiting a half an hour for a panel is kind of crazy, because, like, I'm there to go to events, not to wait online for events, but, I mean, that's the, that's the status quo at this point at, you know, San Diego and New York. And I think a lot of people don't like Ninja Scroll anymore. Really? Because there's like a new breed of anime fans now. Who knows what the hell they watch? <laughs> well, I think it's, they don't like it for the same reason they don't like Fist of the North Star. It's too raw and powerful for them to handle. And it's Lovely unnecessarily... Like <laughs> yeah, it's unnecessarily uh, objectifying of women. Well, whatever. I mean, that's how women are, aren't they? Full of gunpowder? Yes. <laughs> and snakes? Dude, that is so hot. Full of snakes filled with gunpowder? I'm so waiting for the day that I like... <laughs> pick up some chick at a bar and I'm like, hey baby, what's up? And she's like, kaboom! <laughs> <laughs> oh, snap! I'm like, I think I just had sex. Was it good for you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was amazing. Have a cigarette. Dave and Joel's Fast Karate for the Gentleman. The podcast for people who don't like anime. Or podcasts. Find us online at DaveandJoel.com Anyway, let's, uh, let's get into the actual topic today which is uh as i mentioned before comics for anime and manga fans and i want to start off by actually describing kind of the reason why i i wanted to do this podcast so uh i i grew up watching like the the spider-man animated series and i was really into Mar the marvel universe uh when i was a kid but never really read marvel comics and then i got into anime and manga and sort of never kept up with any western comics or anything like that so now I'm older and I kind of want to get back into that stuff, but I don't really know where to start. So uh, I, you know, I've tried some superhero comics and things, and superhero comics are kind of baffling and hard to get into. So I've brought these two experts who uh, know a lot more about comics than me. Oh God, to talk I don't about. know if you should use the word expert. <laughs> 
I've said it, so now it's now that's <laughs> you guys are now comic experts. Uh, you're more experts than me though, so you guys are familiar with you know uh, with the comics side of it as well as anime and manga, and so I'm you know hoping you guys can provide some really good recommendations for me and for you know any listeners who are, are, are like are like me and interested in getting into comics. So we've got a couple of recommendations from all of us. Uh, I brought one recommendation because my experience is pretty limited. So, uh, you know, I figured I shouldn't recommend too many things because you guys are going to be much more knowledgeable about it than me. But yeah, we're going to go around and just talk about uh, why people should read the the series that we're uh, that we brought here today. I don't want to sound like I'm giving a school lesson or anything, but I do feel as though. A lot of times, anime and manga fans, just like everybody else, kind of think American comics equal superheroes. Right, right. And, you know, I really hope this podcast can kind of help dispel that a little bit and that American comics have just a wide of range as like anything else. And mm. so that you really can pick whatever, you know, your interests are, genres you like, you can find those in American comics. And it's not, you know, like a superheroes only game. Right. We're going to start with uh, with one of Rachel's recommendations. One of my recommendations is Tank Girl. She has actually two books that have come out recently. Uh, Everybody Loves Tank Girl, which is a three-issue miniseries that just wrapped up. And it's written by Alan Martin, and the art is done by uh, Jim Mafu. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Um, but yeah, Tank Girl is uh, is basically a bunch of shorts and the origin of Tank Girl is that she was created uh, basically for beer, beer money. And um, she was published in Deadline Magazine originally uh, by Jamie Hewlett, who later went on to do The Gorillas and do art for oh, okay. self-indulgence and things like that. And uh, so Alan Martin and Jamie Hewlett are the creators. And um, it's about Rebecca Buck who she just goes by Tank Girl. They've only really called her her, her actual name like once in the whole series ever. And um, it's a bunch of short stories about her being a crazy punk rock chick out in an Australian outback who drives a tank and she fucks shit up, basically. Um, if you like more of the weird stuff, more of the psychedelic stuff, or if you're into the punk rock scene or you just like punk rock chicks, this is definitely a good pick. Um, and Tank Girl and her boyfriend Booga, who is a mutant kangaroo, so if you have any furries listening, uh, maybe they'd <laughs> like it, I don't know, but, um, yeah, if you've seen the movie Tank Girl, you, uh, this is not like it, um, Tank Girl has bounced around from publisher to publisher, uh, for a while, DC owned it, cause they wanted to, um, make more movies with the Warner Brothers that were quote-unquote comic book movies, um, Lori Petty did a great job as Tank Girl, but she, it should have been an animated movie, honestly. And they try to put a storyline to it. Tank Girl does not work very well when it's linear. It works best when it is discombobulated, when there's that sense of chaos and craziness. Um, and for a while they were trying to do some linear stories. Uh, basically, um, Hewlett and Martin, they'll bounce back and forth where one will do a story with, um, someone else and they just kind of bounce back and forth uh, idw had it for a while now titan books has it and um it's basically back to its original crackheadedness where it's just a bunch of shorts where the main theme is that everybody loves tank girl which in reality everybody doesn't love tank girl there's a in this one there's a short story with a foul mouth five-year-old 
Um, and there's there's lots of Australian and British uh, cussing in it, so it's not as foul <laughs> as it could be for us American audiences, unless you know the slang. Mm. And um, they actually just released a couple months ago the complete Tank Girl. It's called The Whole of Tank Girl. It's in a hardcover and has a hardcover slipcase. And it is original scripts, the history of how she was created, um, and all the original uh, stuff before DC bought it temporarily. And it's it's a hundred dollar hardcover, but it is beautiful. Um, and it, you can even go on the Wikipedia and look at some actual very interesting things for something that started off as beer money became a feminist symbol in the punk rock mu- movement in England. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, it's it's great. If you want something that you can just jump into, read, have a laugh at it, that is really the perfect book. Is it in, uh, like, I'm, I'm Googling images of it and stuff. Is it in black and white? Originally, was it, it was in black and white. And um, so, yeah. Uh, but when they reprinted them, they did reprint them in color. And then as mm. the Tank Girl built steam, they did start doing more in color. It just really depended on the publisher. Um, like when, if you look at Ashley Wood's stuff with the IDW, that had a different feel for it. Um, and sometimes, uh, like even in Everybody Hates Tank Girls, some of the one short story will be black and white, the next one will be more sepia tones, and another one will be full color. It just depends on whatever Jim Moffley right. felt worked with that story. And hmm. they okay. they even go back to the traditional. Uh, and they they would do uh, they would do like poems. And they would just have a pin up to go with it, and they've gone back to doing that again just randomly in the book, too, which is great because it is. I, I was kind of the punk rock chick in high school, so that really like spoke to me because it's like, yeah, fuck the man. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, in fact, Tank Girl was my first tattoo. So, uh, yeah, I have nice. to give her much love. Just don't judge it on that terrible movie. I mean, it's a fun movie to watch, but it's it's really nothing like the the, the um, comic at all. Next up, Kate has got Runaways. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. Um, maybe people are a little familiar with Runaways. Maybe not. And I know at the beginning I was like, comics aren't superheroes, but this is a superhero comic. <laughs> <laughs> and because um, while all American comics aren't superheroes, I do love superheroes. But I was trying to think of a series where you don't have kind of all the baggage of a superhero comic. And there are a lot of those that you can absolutely get. You know, you don't have to pick up one of these long-running stories. While it might be awesome to read Spider-Man or Batman, there's a lot of superheroes out there that are a little more self-contained. So Runaways was actually Marvel's response uh, at the time to this huge manga boom in America. Oh, okay. Um, and they had a line of comics, and none of them really were as good or did as well as Runaways. It is by Brian K. Vaughn. Uh, he's the, the writer, and Adrian Alphon does the art, at least for the like initial arc, and that's kind of what I would recommend is like the run in which Brian K. Vaughn is the writer. And he's the writer for Saga, which we'll talk about next, right. so it's perfect. But it's about the this group of teenagers who their parents get together every year for like this charity function. But one year they are bored and they decide to spy on them and they find out that they're actually supervillains and their oh. their group is not a good group. They're an evil organization called the Pride. And all the kids throughout the like the first book realize they all have powers. 
they have all this changes go these changes going on and they decide to kind of rectify what their parents have been doing so they run away uh, and they kind of create a family of their own with all of them and they start helping people in the city and kind of going against whatever their parents were doing it's got a lot of personal interpersonal relationships uh, which I think is kind of what will hook you into it and like the superpowers are all different for everybody one of the girls is an alien one of the girls has a psychic link to a dinosaur which is awesome yeah i'm, I'm seeing pictures of like a velociraptor yeah that's Gert. i'm google searching um, it <laughs> that that's her her dinosaur arsenic or, or sorry old lace she calls herself arsenic <laughs> So yeah, so you have like all these relationships going on. You also have characters who are all very different from each other. You know, the, the females are all different from each other. So I think you get like body types and character types and just a little bit more variety than maybe you're used to in a lot of traditional superhero comics that people think of. Right. And so I think that's really where Runaway shines. And of course, there's like a dark conspiracy and things go, things do not go well, let me tell you, by the end of the first arc. So this, um, it's in the Marvel Universe, or just published by Marvel? I don't know if there's a difference there. Like, does, does Marvel publish things that do not exist in its universe? Technically, no. Uh, Runaways does appear in other arcs. Like, there are a few arcs where Runaways appear in, like, some of the big event books. Runaways will okay. show up. There are a few times where, like, Wolverine shows up briefly in this in 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 the regular runaways line but there's mm -hmm. no like like the pride which are their parents they're not like uh, an actual superhero group group or super villain group from marvel you know so they're not right. so that's all new so like all the main characters and the focus in this book is like completely new and then it just awesome. kind of has a couple winks to right. other stuff yeah, because in in the last uh, in the last episode of of the Anime Gamers podcast, I I briefly mentioned that I read Avengers Disassembled, which was like completely baffling and had characters who were like like they were never named, so I didn't know what superhero they were, and like that sort of thing is I think why a lot of people, like you said, kind of don't want to get into superhero comics because they're just so hard to figure out. So yeah, this sounds like this is different. <laughs> yeah, and then it, it does again, and if you like Runaways. You know, it does continue on after Brian K. Vaughn's storyline. I, I don't think that it ever is quite as good after mm, okay. that. But there is more more stories after that if you want them. Uh, all right. And, and speaking of, of Brian K. Vaughn, uh, we've got the one that, that all of us have read. Yes. I love him. I love him. I just finished this this uh, last night, actually, the, the first book of it. So it's Saga, and Rachel's going to talk about that. So as we were saying a moment ago about how it's hard to jump into a lot of the superhero mythos because it's so entrenched, um, you could say that with Star Wars. So if you don't have a parent who basically made you grow up with Star Wars and made you a little Star Wars geek, it could be really that, hard yeah, to fall that, into that's it. It's a shame if you didn't have that. Yeah. Way. Um, but there's a lot of people who don't. There's a lot of people <laughs> who have never seen Star Wars, the original <gasps> I know. I, I know I know yes. people who have never seen Star oh Wars. So what am I getting at with the Star Wars talk? Well, if you really like sci-fi, but there's just too much crap because you have to know stuff from like 20, 30, 40 years ago in the mythos, this is the perfect starting point. Saga is this generation Star Wars, except for less pretentious. Um, 
yeah, uh, yeah. There's a there's a lot of pretentious people who are Star Wars geeks. Um, but oh, you mean the fandom is less pretentious? Oh yes. <laughs> Not that Star Wars, because I'm like Star Wars isn't all that pretentious. Yeah, it's pretty, it's just it's like people shooting brown. people with lasers. <laughs> Look, you've never seen pretentious and fandom until you go to a sci-fi convention and you have those Star Wars geeks just looking down at you because you don't know <laughs> who Mara Jade is and who her babies are. You don't know the names of all of the people in the cantina. Yeah. Um, so Saga is is uh, is described as a epic space opera. It is about two people whose races are at war. Alana, who the, her race has wings like fair wings or bat wings and things like that, and Marco, whose race is more of uh, rams, like they have the horns like rams and things like that. And they've been at constant war with each other. Well, while each was basically in a prison, in a gulag um, type thing, they fell in love, and uh, Alana got pregnant, and the story is told from the child, the child that they soon have. And um, there's actually a birth scene in it. There, um, there is a lot of violence, and then there's this jerk called Prince Robot, who's basically his race of robots that can have sex and reproduce, um, which there is a sexy robot sex scene in this. And they're basically robots in that they're like human bodies with TV heads, yes. like like Conti and Fooly Cooly. Yes, and when they think of something, it appears on the screen. Like <laughs> if he's if he's thinking of if, if Prince Robot is thinking about porn, then porn's gonna pop on his face. So it's it, yeah, you can easily read their emotions, which is funny because they're robots with emotions. Um, but yeah, there's robot sex in this. If that intrigues you, um, I guess. <laughs> you know that reminds me that really pandering to the robot sex lobby. <laughs> there, there's a lot in the first issue where it's like, well, if you if you're okay with this. You'd be okay, and if you're okay with this birth scene and can get through it, like, you'll be good. The opening scene is a birth scene, right? Yeah. So the funny thing is, is that every, there's a lot of crazy crap that goes into this book, but six months before it came out, when it was solicited, it was just solicited of the cover of issue one, where Alana is breastfeeding. And there was Mm. an uproar in the comic community on the forum saying, that's disgusting, that's perverted. Yeah, remember, these are men who few weeks before defended starfire having sex with red hood and and red arrow just because she could and you know catwoman's boobs popping out of her her um cat suit all the time they were justifying that but oh my god heaven forbid (laughs) titties are used for what they were meant to be used for in feeding a newborn so the thing is is that that cover was nothing but ever since the books come out not a peep but everybody freaked the fuck out over freaking breastfeeding (laughs) Anyways, so Robot Prince is basically, uh, his race is feeding the fire of this war going on between the two because the robots um, are getting a lot of money from this war. They are supplying weapons. They are doing a lot of military work. Um, so what they do, uh, they find out about this, this half-breed of the two races, and they don't want it to get out because if these two people of the two different races can come together and have a baby, then maybe they're not so different and there's a possibility of peace and blah, blah, blah. So very Romeo and Juliet feel to it too. Mm. Um, So he hires a bounty hunter, which there's a side story with the bounty hunter called The Will. 
and um he's a likable character i mean he, he yeah he i really really like him yeah yeah, yeah he's awesome. he uh he's very no nonsense he's just like dude this is my job i'm sorry but at the same time, he has a moral moral code. Um, like when he went to a prostitute planet to get information, and the pimp of the prostitute planet was like, "Oh well, you know, you see anything you like?" And he's like, "No, I've seen this all before." Well, how about this? And then he busts out with a six year old girl. Well, then the will murders the shit out of uh, <laughs> the pimp. So I mean, he he has a code of honor, even though he's killing people. You know, you don't mess with little kids, things like that. Um, and then there's there's ghosts and there are living spaceships. Um, yeah. Alana and Marco, in order to get away, they realize they have to go find this mythical spaceship forest where the trees <laughs> turn into spaceships and they basically you know rocket off of the planet. And um, it, there's just all kinds of crazy stuff. It's it's everything that you would see in your childhood fantasies. Um, put into this grown-up sci-fi thing. Yeah, it's it's really imaginative. I was kind of struck by that. Um, almost reminded me of like just in in terms of trying to compare it to to anime uh, and manga stuff. I think Kate, you've seen Welcome to the Space Show was something that was like not a great anime movie, but ha- had like really imaginative sci-fi stuff where they like go to a planet and there's just like wacky aliens everywhere. Mm. Um, and and I guess like Star Wars is like that too. So it's just like you kind of never know what's going to be on the next page. You're going to see, you know, some some crazy alien design. I think at the prostitute, like the sex planet, there's like the sex aliens are so scary. They have they have like giant heads with just (laughs) legs coming off of them and stuff. It's like it's just really wacky. And uh, I mean, yeah, you never know what's going to come next. Oh, yeah, I I definitely recommend this book for anyone who likes the space wacky sci-fi stuff like maybe if you liked redline but you're not big into cars yeah redline too right so, I like if, if you if you liked redline the the wacky sci-fi space aspect of it read this book you will really like it yeah and um something i particularly take note of when reading like non uh manga comics is like how much dialogue there is how much you know space in the panels and stuff how fast it reads and uh and Saga is, seems to read particularly fast for a for like a Western comic, you know, as far as I've seen. There's a lot of like panels with no dialogue. The dialogue is really quick and witty and isn't, you know, doesn't take too long to read. It's not belabored. Well, that's great because comics is a visual medium. You should be right. taking it in like that. If I want to read a novel, I'll go pick up a novel. So there needs to be right. a good mix. And this book seems to have the perfect mix of words and visual. Of all the people that I that were recommending, like Fiona Staples has such an amazing art style, and it really mm. brings all these creatures to life and gives them so much personality. She's just an amazing artist, and I think that it's a really appealing style that isn't too comic booky. Like again, in a traditional sense. Yeah, it's it's stylized, uh, which I think is what a lot of manga fans probably like about manga. That it's not, you know, overly detailed and realistic. And you guys didn't mention the stock that they're being pursued <laughs> oh, by yeah. that crazy, oh my god. Like, the first time yeah, yeah, she yeah. appears is just, like, the craziest shit, man. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I was yeah, kind of yeah. hoping we'd save that as a surprise. Yeah, I, I, wanna, I didn't I wanna say what happens. I just said right. that was crazy. Something happens. <laughs> like, we the, know now the that it's stock crazy. is scary as shit, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. But you know, right, that she has, like, people think she's totally hot. Oh, of course they do. Yeah. I mean... At the Saga panel, Fiona was talking about this, 
Oh, <laughs> I missed that panel. I was at the womanthology panel, you know, being on it. <laughs> <laughs> she was saying, thanks everyone for being open-minded. Like, she <laughs> <laughs> now when the listeners pick up this book and they meet the stock they will understand why we're just so flabbergasted over it <laughs> and have you seen there like they they showed a bunch of covers for the upcoming issues and there's like a sexy cover with her on it uh, <laughs> it's really? a really interesting cover you should go see the cover it's amazing it, it's just like <laughs> it, it, it boggles the mind a little bit Oh yeah, so I was also like I mentioned that the the dialogue is really witty in it, but I mean, just to to make it clear, I laughed a ton when reading this. Like that is it is in addition to being you know a drama, it's like the it's really really quick all the the humor, very kind of dry humor between all the characters, and it's not a comedy, but I mean it's I thought it was pretty funny. I don't know if you guys agree. Well, you need those moments where you can laugh because right. if it's all tension all the time, you're not gonna want to read it. And mm. I find Alana very funny. Like, her commentary yeah. on everything is pretty amusing. Right, right. <laughs> very no-nonsense. Uh, right. Uh, all right, are we, are we done on Saga? Everybody should read Saga. Everyone. Everybody. So, well, not children, maybe. I don't know. I my, my I think my seven-year-old nephew would enjoy this. I mean, his, his mom lets him watch Sin City, so I think this is better. Children should read Saga. This is definitely a book that I can't read on the train, though. <laughs> <laughs> like, Why? I'm like commuting and I'm like, oh, we have robot sex. Let me just skip yeah. this page. Oh, kids have to learn about it somewhere. Come on. Re read some Lychee Light Club on the train and you'll be able to handle anything. I don't know what that is. Vertical released it. It's uh, got basically all of the things that you wouldn't want someone to catch you reading on a train. Like they, they cut out a woman's intestines in the first five pages. I tried reading it in IHOP once. It didn't work. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's IHOP material. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I think we're going to go on to uh, to one of Kate's recommendations. Okay, uh, The Dreamer, which is a webcomic, and so if you want to check it out, you can read it for free, which is awesome. I actually bought the first book before I even knew that it was a free webcomic, but it's a historical fantasy romance, like time-traveling romance, which I feel like is pretty different from... Probably most stuff that I would imagine people think of American comics as being about. And it's right. about this 17-year-old girl, B, and she starts having these dreams about the American Revolution. And they're very vivid, mm. and, you know, she's, like, there, and stuff is happening. And then she kind of starts to realize that she is actually there, and she's participating in, like, meeting all of these um, historical figures and she falls in love with this guy named Alan who already knows her and she doesn't really know why she's dreaming and as I've only read the first book I don't know why she's dreaming either she kind of appears there and he knows her and it seems like she's had this whole life the book where she is now is like 1776 sort of that classic very romanticized era in American history and it seems like she's had like a whole life there and she doesn't remember it at all. And so the story so far has kind of been her realizing that and sort of trying to balance having a, you know, a modern life. She has friends and she's trying to go to school and there's a guy there that she likes as well. And at the same time, she's like rushing home to get back into these dreams. And hmm. she kind of is learning history 
at school about it. And then so that sort of affects her. And she's like, oh, my God, somebody's going to die. I mean, she's like at this point, she's met some like she's friends with Nathan Hale. And, you know, if you know anything about history while you're reading this, you're like, God, this is all going to turn out really bad. Like, <laughs> and then she doesn't really, you know, she's like a bad student and such. So she doesn't really remember that this is not going to go so well. So it's a romance and it's also like a historical fantasy sort of series. And I don't know why she's dreaming. I don't know if that will ever be explained. It might just be, you know, that's just what's happening. It doesn't, and it's not like a mad scientist is making her dream or something crazy (laughs) as far as I know. (laughs) And it's all, it's all done by Laura Innes and she was actually at Oticon. This is where I bought the book. Oh, okay. She was in the Artist Alley. And uh, I was reading about this in the LA Times. It was just like all faded for me to buy this book because I had like re- read about it the day before and then I was there and then she was just there selling books. Yeah, I'm looking at this. The I'm, I'm looking at some pages right now. Uh, the art style is definitely not very, very manga. Um, so yeah, I mean, just, just worth mentioning. It's It's definitely different than what you know, manga fans are used to. But it doesn't have, it doesn't have like a ton of text. I don't feel it's not like an overly Mm. exposition heavy book. I mean, I I really enjoy this, this period in American history. And I like kind of the romanticized uh, historical fiction about it. So I think that's what really Mm. drew me in. But you know, like, I I guess I, I really wanted to pick this to say like, hey, there's just like, that's pretty much a romance, you know, and right. That's totally out there. You can get that. And I was kind of sold basically on the second page, which is like this beautiful full page of her and Alan kissing. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm in. This is beautiful. <laughs> I'm sold. So, so basically, if, if you like Hitalia and you really like those scenes where they flash back to the, the Revolutionary War, then, then you'll like this comic. That's it. I think Hitalia, I'm pretty sure that's a comedy, right? Yeah, no, I, I, I was kidding. I, mean, <laughs> I was like, oh my the, god. The only, the only connection is the only connection in that is that they're wearing Revolutionary War <laughs> uniforms. Um, all right, cool. Let's go on to uh, Rachel's pick. Okay, so Space Punisher. It is uh, by Frank Thierry and Mark Texaria. I think that's how you pronounce the last name. Um, this is my only big two book that I picked. Um, I, I don't read a whole lot of superhero books, and when I do, I usually get angry. And you'll see my rants on Twitter about them, usually. Oh, oh, wait, I didn't realize it. This is like The Punisher, but in space. Yes! <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm sold. I'm sold. <laughs> yes, it's The Punisher. It's basically an Elseworlds book or a what-if story. It's, it's a separate universe, kind of like how a few years ago they did the Marvel Zombies, but it wasn't with the current universe. This was like a different world, like if everybody had a zombie virus. Well, this is... What if the Marvel Universe was basically in space? So it's the Punisher murdering the crap out of bad guys in space. But he murders everybody. There, <laughs> there is, he does not care. If you're in his way, you're getting your head chopped off. You are being strapped to the front of a spaceship and, you know, having your skin flayed. Um, while you're going through space at light speed, uh, you are getting... Uh, shot in the gut with a laser claws just all kinds of things and basically frank castle has like the murder of his son and wife they kept that still um to this group called the six finger hand and um 
Yeah, he linked it to this group of bad guys. So they have the Red Skull, Ultron, Doc Ock, Green Goblin. All these bad guys um, are part of this big gang, um, which they have overseers. Um, okay, well, I'll spoil it. Uh, the Watchers are basically running it. This is a four-issue miniseries. I think for, for our target audience of people who don't know much about comics, that probably doesn't mean all yeah, that much Yeah, it probably doesn't. I, I don't really know what that means. Okay, um... Well, then never mind. Okay. Anyways, (laughs) these guys who are supposed to be neutral are running these bad guys, and these bad guys kill Frank Castle's family, so Frank Castle is killing everybody. He's decapitating people, and the Hulk shows up in one of the issues, and the Hulk has six arms, and he's just like, he rips Deadpool's head off and punts it into space. Oh my god, that sounds like what I want to do to Deadpool, and everybody who makes jokes about Deadpool all the time. So, and, uh, yeah, just everybody gets murdered in violent violent ways but the art for it is like portrait type art it's painting so it doesn't Mm. look as grotesque as it could so the violence um it's very very violent but it's not like torture porn type violent like a lot of horror comics are nowadays and um i the fourth issue came out while i was in new york and i so i'm like two three weeks behind on on most of my comics and um, my husband didn't pick it up, so I don't know how it ends. So I'm upset. Uh, I'm uh, I'm looking at pictures of it right now, and I I think I've I've I'm definitely sold on on this line that I'm seeing here. But do you like laser claws to the chest? Yes, laser claws. And he's like to the chest. killing someone with laser claws. Yes. There's laser claws to the chest. There's Hulk ripping off Deadpool's head and punting it into space. Uh, Doc Ock is getting his flesh flayed off him because he's strapped to his spaceship at one point. The Red Skull's in there, and his head gets exploded. There's Hitler clones. I mean, <laughs> it is just insane. And Frank Thierry does a really great job of putting all this wackiness into, like, one issue per, you know, because it's only four issues. So, okay. yeah, yeah. There, he puts, like, all this wackiness that could go on, just uh, the wackiness in one issue could go on for six. But he condenses it in a way that's just, you know, you, you see the wackiness and you move on and you're happy. Um, it, it looks like it it would appeal to, like, fans of seinen manga and uh, things like, like that. Like, I mean, all the violence you're yeah, talking about just yeah, reminds it, me it, of, like, of Rikyo and stuff. It's definitely a macho man violence mm. type thing. So, yeah, if, if you like stuff like that, it's for you. Which is weird because I don't like Rikyo and that stuff. But I'm really enjoying Space Punisher but maybe because I like all these Marvel villains getting murdered. <laughs> because I the few times I do read superhero comics, I'm like, just shoot them in the face. Done. And they don't. <laughs> so. so Space Punisher is just shoot them in the face, the comics. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> it, I, I mean, but he actually doesn't shoot any... Oh, wait, he does. Never mind, yeah. Well, it's, you know, it, so, it's effectively he's shooting everyone in the face with, like, laser claws and... Yeah. and with flaying their skin and things yeah, like that. Yeah, if you can't tell my picks so far, I like wacky and sci-fi. So, mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you like wackiness and sci-fi, you know, pick up, you know, Space Punisher Saga or Tank Girl. Even Tank Girl's not sci-fi, it's just wacky as hell. But, uh, yes, uh, and all, all these, uh, this is only a four-issue miniseries, so if you um, don't want to be committed, it's just four issues. It should be solicited in preview soon for a uh, trade paperback. So it should be pretty easy to find. All right. Uh, next up, moving away from from horrible space violence uh, to something that uh, I know Kate and I have read. I don't know if uh, if Rachel has. I, I I used to read it, 
but I stopped after okay. issue 55 or 60 just because of money. Mm, yeah. So we're, we're going to talk about Fables. Yes. Fables is a series by Bill uh, Willingham. And the fir- since I'm basically talking about the first few books, the penciler is uh, Land Medina. And it's a really long-running series about fairy tales. And it's a contemporary fantasy setting. And basically the, s- the story, which is rather complicated and involves like every... <laughs> fairy tale person you've ever thought of and like half of the ones you've never knew it's about fable town which is inside of new york city and they've been in exile from their homeland because there's this great evil there called the adversary who was killing fables as they're all they're all like the creatures themselves and people are called the fables and that he was taking over lands and kind of conquering this whole world so they have come to the essentially the real world the mundi world as they call it and have settled there and they've been here for like a couple of like a few hundred years so the first story arc and uh, what i do like about the graphic novels of this is that each book is an entire arc right so you kind of get your you know the whole story in one book and it does continue throughout the books but you still get kind of like a good chunk of story and the first story is actually a murder mystery which was kind of (laughs) what really got me to pick it up uh in the first place the main kind of cast at least at the beginning is snow white who is the deputy mayor of fable town (laughs) and bigby wolf who is obviously the big bad wolf and he is the sheriff Uh, All kinds of other, again, all these other characters are involved. Red Rose is Snow White's sister, and she has disappeared, and it looks like she's been murdered. Rose Red, I think, right? Yeah. Rose Red, yeah. Rose Red. And, like, her boyfriend at the time, Jack Horner, who, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk, he's like a total loser. (laughs) He's he's such a a character that you love to see how he's going to F everything up uh, every single time in the book. But yeah, so it really, you know, takes all these characters that you've seen and then does stuff with them that you've never seen before, that you never really thought of doing. It's a much more mature series than you might expect it to be. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of crazy stuff that happens as the series goes on. And like, Goldilocks is a horrible, evil... Oh, but she's, a, she's a, like a revolutionary. That was, that was my favorite. And she has like sex with bears. I mean, she... That's right. <laughs> To prove her point that they're all the same because they're all fables. Right. I mean, it, 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 if nothing else, you'll walk, you'll walk away from this comic with like so many crazy things to tell people. You're like, hey, I'm, I'm reading this comic where Goldilocks is a revolutionary and she rides a motorcycle and shoots a sniper rifle. <laughs> and has sex with bears. Yeah. That's important. Like, so. And I, I want to be clear, this comic came out before Grimm and before Once Upon a Time. This comic's almost so, a decade old at yeah. this point. Actually, yeah. it is. I went to the 10th anniversary panel at Comic-Con, oh. so it is actually 10 years old. I have no evidence for this, but uh, I, I think, I tend to think that, like, uh, Grimm and Once Upon a Time, I, f- I feel like they exist because somebody was trying to shop around fables for a TV show, and then, like, they got rejected, and then people just said, like, well, why don't we... The, you know, they're using public domain stories. Why don't we just make our own things like actually, that? Actually, that came up at the panel. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, somebody actually asked uh, Bill Willingham about it. 
and he and he he was so gracious i was kind of shocked he was like you know these are i'm picking up all these characters because they're public domain and everybody should you know he's like i love folklore because it's owned by the people and everybody should be able to do whatever they want with them and i don't think that they're ripping me off and blah 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 blah. but i do know that fables was shopped as a television series oh it was and i also think that once upon a time is a, is a total like grim i think is maybe a little less so but but okay. um i feel like once upon a time is quite a bit of a because like they've all been exiled because there's like a great evil <laughs> so, and so I was like, yeah, whatever. Fables is way better, guys. So you guys should read this instead. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't seen Once Upon a Time, but yeah, Fables is definitely better because I'm just going to say it because whatever. <laughs> I don't care. The art, I feel like, is kind of super traditional comic book art, which mm. maybe will be a, a little bit of a barrier for some people. The, the covers are amazing, um, which are different than the interiors. Yeah. Oh, my God. The covers are a really, really nice, like, kind of painted um they're yeah they're really they're not as like graphic I, you know they're not as stylized i guess they're more like a they look more like a painting or something i guess um and i do like i also like that a lot of the pages inside are have these like ornate frames around them yes. and like stuff going on in the background so it does have this intricacy to it which i think is very visually mm. interesting but it does i feel like feel or look very comic book like traditional comic book um and it does have a lot of tech yeah and it's it's also worth mentioning that the artists uh like it kind of switches artists for some of like the side stories and things and that might be a little jolting for for people who are used to one artist across the entire run of a series but it is a very long running series so there is a good reason for that um and it's still running right. you know issue like 123 i think is coming out so oh yeah i was i have some other things i was going to mention about it like I, I tend to think it has a little bit of like a Harry Potter type appeal to it because um, it's, you know, about the, you know, it's got the, like you mentioned, the Mundies, right, which is very much like like the idea of muggles in Harry Potter. Uh, it's this secret society of people with magical powers. And it also has a similar strength in terms of like the world building that it has like all these rules and things and history that applies to all these characters uh, that's sort of established when you walk into the story. And I think that that has a really powerful appeal for me, at least. I'm I'm, at least I was a Harry Potter fan until Harry Potter got bad near the end of it. But uh, but yeah, that's sort of what I liked about Harry Potter. And yeah, you know, I think Fables has a kind of similar appeal there. And also, I think you know, since Fables can kind of do what I I feel like it never feels constricted or restricted by the mm. the the original tales or anything, you know, he's sometimes he's really strict with how he portrays somebody. Sometimes he's very liberal. And I think, you know, that just keeps you guessing a lot of the time. It, it has a lot of surprise to it. And right. the fourth book, you know, if, if you're interested in like the history of what has happened uh, to the fables, you know, with the adversary, the fourth book really starts taking that on. And you get a whole bunch of history about how they finally came to New York City. And you, you start to get that bigger overarching story as opposed to, like, the smaller little bit. Which which one is the fourth one? The fourth book is March of the Wooden Soldiers. Okay, yeah, yeah, I've read that one. Yeah, so I, that's, like, I think the first time where you really start to get some of that, like, hints about what's been going on in the homeland. Right. 
I think it's worth mentioning, Kate, because you said that you, you know you got hooked uh, because it was a uh, the first one was a murder mystery. One of them is uh, one of the books has a, a heist in it that's all done with with like fable magical powers, and I really really love heist stories. Heists are good too. So, yeah. It was it was it was so good. I mean, the one thing that I distinctly remember, there was a whole bunch of cool stuff in it, is like in a heist, you usually you know you cut the power in the building. Their their equivalent of cutting the power is that like Sleeping Beauty pricks her finger and puts everyone in the building to sleep, which is just amazing. Like it's so imaginative. It's awesome. And I also love fairy tales. So mm. you know, having that happen. Can I tell a brief story? Sure. Yeah. So at the panel that I was mentioning before. They were kind of talking about the adversary and like if I don't know who the adversary is, so like I, I mean don't? I haven't got I don't so like, <laughs> I don't so I haven't gotten there further yet. than I thought so but yeah it's it it blows your mind. But oh, he was snap. talking about like originally who he wanted the adversary to be and it was Peter Pan. Oh wow! And he was saying that he actually really wanted to use Peter Pan, but he can't use it because it's actually owned. Oh, so it's not a public domain. At least when he right. was, you know, I mean, I don't know if it is now, but like when he was, you know, sort of conceptualizing, it it wasn't, so he couldn't do that, and it was just fascinating to hear. He's like, I was always terrified of Peter Pan when I was a child, <laughs> like, because he would kidnap the children out of their rooms, and he was like, I always thought Captain Hook was the good guy, <laughs> <laughs> and I actually was like, that's so sad because I love Peter Pan. <laughs> like man i'm glad he isn't the adversary no when you when you get to that part you're just like shut up it, it, i am i yeah crazy. i haven't gotten there but i'm very he he was good they spoiled some stuff at the panel but they did not spoil that he was like i'm not gonna say but but now we can rule out peter pan we so we're, we've narrowed it down oh yes <laughs> only 1027 others to go <laughs> Uh, so, I, so next up is uh, one that Rachel clearly chose based only on uh, on her name being in the title. She's so shallow. Yeah, what can I say? Narcissism. <laughs> um, this this one is not a spa uh, wacky space adventure like my other ones, um, or a punk rock thing. It's called Rachel Rising. It is by Terry Moore. Terry Moore has also done Strangers in Paradise and Echo. Um, but he does all the illustrating, the inking, the lettering, the writing, everything. Um, and it is about this girl, Rachel. It's a horror book. It's black and white. And it's about this girl, Rachel, who wakes up in a shallow grave in the middle of the woods. And she has no idea what's going on. Um, she has strangulation marks on her neck. And her eyes are bloodshot from when she was strangled. You know, the, the blood vessels burst in her eyes. So her eyes are different. And she basically, she has no idea what happened. She doesn't remember what happened within 24 to 48 hours of her death. So she's trying to figure out what happens. And people are like, no, you're dead. You're, you're dead. What's wrong with you? And then there's all these mysterious deaths that are starting to happen throughout the town. People seemingly to commit suicide. People disappearing. And uh, some of them are coming back just like Rachel did. The only difference is, is that Rachel still has a sense of how to control herself. Whereas these other people seem to just want to kill. Not in the zombie way, but more like they're possessed and they want to murder you like, like Jason or Michael Myers would. And throughout the series, you see this woman who looks very similar to Rachel, but not completely. 
um, that only the dead can see. Rachel can see her. People linked with death can see her. Um, her Rachel's best friend eventually ends up getting killed as well. She comes back, and you're like, why are only these select women coming back? And you find out in the newest issue um, that actually everyone who's coming back after dying, they're the reincarnations of these teenage girls that were murdered 300 years ago by the town folk because they were accused of being witches. And okay. yeah, so there's a there's a witchcraft going on, and the woman who is a who only the dead people can see, she is she was the only actual witch. And she's out for revenge. Revenge for herself, revenge for the girls. And supposedly this keeps happening over and over again, and she keeps failing. So these poor girls keep getting reincarnated. So this happens every, like, 50 years or so. And there's some other weird stuff. There's this little girl who's the creepiest character. The, the, the dead women coming back and murdering people is not the creepy part. The witch out for revenge is not the creepy part. What's creepy is this little 10-year-old girl she hasn't died, so she's not possessed. She is just killing people because she kills her older sister by, you know, her her older sister comes down for some food in the middle of the night. And she's like, what the hell are you doing up? And the little girl trips her, takes her on rep, and just kills her. She puts it over her face, doesn't say a word. This little girl in the farmer pigtails, farmer pigtail braids, just kills her big sister, sets her house on fire. And goes on a murder spree, and you find out later that the little girl is possessed by a demon. So the little girl's like, kill me, kill me, and then she goes back and forth between begging to be killed and murdering people just because she can. So anime fans will like this because, like in Japanese horror, the most terrifying thing is a little girl. Pretty much, yeah. Um, but it's really, it's, it's really great, and the beginning of each issue, Terry Moore puts something in it that has to do with the issue, um... But you don't realize it until you get to the end. Like at the issue number 11, he has a quote from Salvador Dali, let my enemies devour each other. And then when you turn the page, there are these rabbits that in the snow eating a dead fox. So things are going to hell because rabbits don't eat foxes, obviously. So um, there's, and, and every single, the beginning of each issue has a different quote by a different person. And the quote goes perfectly with the story of that issue. And it, it's, it's really creepy, but it's, it's horror like how I like it. Like, I don't like slasher stuff. I don't like the torture porn stuff or the splatter porn. This, is, this book will creep you out. So it's a very, very good mm. read. And each issue blows yeah, your the, mind. The, the art, the art uh, is in black yeah. and white, right? Because I'm, I'm looking at pictures of it. That's, yeah, that's definitely, it, it looks like something that I think uh, artistically manga fans would probably enjoy because it is kind of stylized um and yeah it's in black and white and you it seems to use the black and white to good effect from what i'm right. saying right and if anybody picks this up and they really like it um terry moore's stuff is different strangers in paradise um was it started off looking like a slice of life book and then it went on to having like lesbian russian mar- mafia and um <laughs> yeah and then his next, his book after that called Echo, that was his superhero book, where it was about a, a photographer who happened to be by a testing site that something that they were testing exploded and the metal melted and attached to our body and she became a superhero, but a reluctant superhero. So it's not like, um, you know, not like Marvel or DC stuff. So he takes these tropes and themes and he does it in his own way. 
And uh, Rachel Rising is my favorite horror comic out right now, hands down. And I'm very picky with horror because I, like I said, I don't like the gross out factor stuff. This this book genuinely creeps me out. So now we've come to my recommendation. Uh, the one of the only comics I felt comfortable actually, you know, highly recommending to people. So uh, this is Persepolis by Marjane Satrapi. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, and it's a gra- it's like a graphic novel. I don't think it was ever published in like typical comic format, but I'm not sure in like issues. Uh, and what it is is uh, autobiographical comics. So in the first book, it's about Satrapi's childhood in Iran, living through the Iranian Revolution, uh, which established the sort of like religious dictatorship that's uh, that's still in effect there today. And uh, the second book is about her teenage years and her adulthood, uh, which she spent partially in Europe and partially back in Iran. So it's this really interesting uh, story that kind of encompasses the the history of Iran and as well as her own personal story. And it really it really got me because it it was it's such an intensely personal book. Uh, that it's it's not really like as much as it has these big ideas and and you know this this chronicle of history it really is just about a single person's life and uh it's really really it's like very charming uh has a lot of really heartbreaking moments but also a lot of really funny very very honest personal moments in it and uh the art style kind of contributes to that so the art style is very cartoony and simplified uh with lots of like rounded eyes and faces and things and not at all like like comic book style uh not not exactly manga style either but definitely more stylized and i think it does appeal to uh you know manga fans who who tend to like things to be more stylized yeah i mean the the main character is this amazing little girl she's like really smart and inquisitive and rebellious but she's also really flawed and uh and you know it's satrapi herself is the main character and uh it really I mean, it's an, inc- an incredibly memorable character. I think it's impossible to, to finish reading the book and not, you know, have her stick with you to some degree. And I, I always mention what got me with it was like I was reading the beginning of it and it, it's a little bit of an odd story because it doesn't seem to go anywhere. It's just the story of someone's life. It's kind of um, kind of slice of life almost because it has a lot of little vignettes and little, you know, stories that don't exactly have a point other than to just establish who she is and, you know, the kind of life she's living. But... There's a scene in like around the first third of the the first book. So I was still not really into it. And I came upon this scene where she's listening to her uncle describe. I think it's her uncle or or something. I I don't I haven't I don't have it in front of me. I haven't read it for a little while. But uh, it's this guy is describing being uh, locked in, like being put in prison and he was tortured for information or something. And uh, he says that they used an iron to to torture him and, and. Marjane is listening from the, you know, from the room next door and she just looks back at an iron on an ironing board behind her and she just says, I never realized that household appliances could be used to hurt someone. And it's this really great way of expressing like a child's perspective on these issues. So if you're interested at all in sort of world affairs and, you know, and politics and things, uh, you know, this, this might be interesting for that. If you're interested in I guess in history, because at this point it is history. It's not very far back. This is like the 70s that this is happening. And uh, I, I don't know how much this applies to anime and manga fans, but it, I mean, it is a, uh, a view into another culture, which is you know very much like anime and manga. You're seeing someone, you're seeing an Iranian tell you the story of 
Iran and, and her life there, which is kind of, I think, has a similar appeal to seeing a Japanese artist describe life in Japan. Have you seen the uh, film? Yeah, I was going to mention that, actually. I have seen the animated film that uh, came out in 2007, and it was actually co-directed by Satrapi herself. Uh, and the, uh, the other director is Vincent... I, my French is rusty. He's a French guy. Vincent Parnot or something like that. And the, the movie is actually also in black and white. I don't know if I mentioned that the, the art is in black and white in the comic, but the movie is mostly in black and white, has some scenes in color, uh, and it kind of matches the style of the comic really well. But in my opinion, uh, I think it doesn't work quite as well because it takes out a lot of the smaller vignettes, and those things really establish the characters and the setting a lot more, and they make the sad scenes sadder because you have these little funny moments that are more just like everyday life. So taking those out makes it just this kind of parade of tragedy, which is also sad, but doesn't ha feel as real. It feels a little bit more melodramatic. Have you guys seen the, like read the comic or seen the movie? Yeah, I, I've read the comic and I own the movie. It's, uh, it, it's really amazing, especially from the feminist perspective of looking at it, because mm. um, they, 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 they were going forward. And you can see that once uh, the dictatorship took over, you know, what her parents were fighting for turned out to be just as bad as a monster because all the women right. before that, they were allowed to wear, like, the pencil skirts and heels, and then they went to having to wear burkas. Right. And it, it just things like, um, you know, you go to a figure drawing class, well, they got really good at drawing right. curtains because that's all they could draw was a woman in a burka that was, like, seven times too big and that's a really good example like that particular scene because that that's kind of the joke that, that that she makes in there and it's it's things like that where they're, they're living in this this situation where we look at it and say like that's horrible and it is horrible but it shows that you know life goes on despite that and you know there's still there's still laughs to be had and everything is not you know com completely miserable despite being in this this terrible situation uh yeah so i, I definitely recommend uh persepolis it's just two books pretty short um and it's definitely something that will will stick with you after you read it. All right, so next is uh, the last one, actually, which is from Kate. Gladstone School for World Conquerors um, by Mark Andrew Smith and Armand Villavert. If I'm saying that right, I don't know. <laughs> it's from Image Comics, and it's a real standalone superhero story. It's actually about supervillains. There's a school that's been established in space, and... Space school. Well, no, the school for world conquerors. And it's a school where all the supervillains send their children to be better supervillains. <laughs> and it's a board, it's like a boarding school. So I'm sorry, it's not a boarding school, but like it's, it's got sort of that feel of being away. And it, it has a lot of the kids' interactions. It's very funny. It's got a lot of humor to it and kind of the crux of this book. And they're, there actually isn't a second uh, book yet. They're working on the second part of the series. Is about these kids who are in school and, you know, they're trying to do their best. And, like, Kid Nefarious, who is not the best at school and just wants to be a big superhero. And then there's, like, Mummy Girl, who is, her dad is, like, this crazy emperor and he's really scary whenever the kids come over to their house and it's just got a lot of humor to it. And the, there's a kind of a conspiracy in the universe where the superheroes and the supervillains have actually 
have like an armistice, like they have a ceasefire, <laughs> and so they actually work together. And so all of the super villain and superhero fights across the world are really all staged, <laughs> and they're all like in cahoots with each other. But the kids don't know that. There's a there's actually a great scene in the book where one of the fights is going to be televised, and the teachers are like, science. Science is forever, but a fight is right now. Let's go. Like, we got to go see this awesome fight. And so these kids start reading, actually, and learning about their parents' past as the story goes on. And they realize, like, what? What? Our parents always lose. They're such losers. This sucks. <laughs> so they go and try to take on one of the superheroes, not really realizing that there is this sort of peace and ceasefire going on and that sort of like starts uh, an, in an intergalactic incident and there's clearly other supervillains in in the series that are trying to break the peace because there is like a jail for supervillains who are like not in accord with the uh, with the terms and who won't agree to it and things like that and th those are actually the parents of a couple of the the skull brothers who have a lot of firepower <laughs> in the series but it's just a really fun, just, it's just good fun. It's kind of an all ages feel to it. Mm. It's bright. It's colorful. It's fast. Yeah, the art, the art style looks a lot like, um, like a lot of the sort of superhero cartoons and stuff out there. But it's, yeah, but it's totally standalone, you know, on its own. Mm. It doesn't connect to anything. It's from image. So it's not uh, part of uh, the big two superhero line or anything like that. All right. That's it. We've, we've hit the end of our list of, uh, of comics there. I, th I hope we've provided some really nice, uh, recommendations. Do we have any, uh, any final thoughts on just, you know, general, general tips for getting into comics? Sometimes it's easier to pick up a mini to see what you want. A mini or a one shot. If, uh, the whole capes thing throws you off superheroes, you don't have to buy Marvel and DC. It's perfectly okay to pick up something from like image or Arcaea. Arcaea does a lot of stuff that's just directly, um, straight to hardcover now image has a lot of minis that come out you know four issue uh three issues things like that if there is a licensed property you like like if you like star wars ask your comic book retailer um is there something like this that is fairly new like a year or less old so mm. uh like so if you like star wars they would probably point you to saga things like that yeah uh, i would stick with more indie comics honestly there's, I mean, right. there's nothing wrong with the big two, but there's such a huge background mythos you have to have. And I know DC tried to erase that with the with re the reboot that they did. Um, so it's easier, but it's it's still a lot to take in because there's they didn't change a whole lot with Batman. And sometimes Batman will revert back and say, you know, mention something that happened pre-reboot. So it gets kind of confusing on what got <laughs> rebooted, what didn't get rebooted. So, yeah, just you, you can ask your local comic shop owner, and if you got one of the few that still acts like a jerk face, um, honestly, you could just go on to the forums. Pretty, people are pretty accurate um, when it comes to recommendations. Or you know what? Or, or you could send, send yes. an email to podcast at anygamers.com, and I guess, well, I, I'll, I would then forward your email to, to these guys. Yeah. yeah. If you have any questions about this, feel free yeah, to let us um, know. I'm on Twitter, so if anybody wants to like just randomly say, "Hey, what do you think about this?" It's at Rachel Pandage. I'm not very creative when it comes to uh, getting in contact with me. 
Um, I also have a website, rachelpandage.com, and anybody can contact me through there if they really, really want to. It might take me a little bit to get back to you because I have some projects I'm working on. Like I said, New York Comic Con is very fruitful for me. But, um, yeah, I mean, you just the Internet is magic. You can just go and say, hey, what does everybody think about this? And as long as you're not getting responses from trolls, you should get a pretty good uh, idea of what to pick up. I think there's a lot of stuff to try, and uh, I just encourage people to do that. And I hope we showed them, you know, that there is a lot of different types of comics out there. I mean, if I was going to pick a publisher to keep your eye on, I would pick Image. I don't, and as a person who started reading comics like in the early 90s, I never thought I'd ever say that about Image Comics, but they are kind of like the publisher that I. I'm keeping my eye on every time they make an announcement. I'm, you know, really excited about all the projects that they're doing. They have a bunch of upcoming stuff that's amazing. They're the ones who did what we talked about with Saga. They did Gladstone School. They've got a really interesting catalog of stuff right now, and they have a whole bunch of stuff upcoming. So I, you know, I encourage people to keep an eye on what they're doing. Uh, I would definitely agree with Rachel on like uh, going for indie comics. From from what I've read, a lot of the stuff that I've liked has been uh, has been indie comics, and uh, we didn't mention them, but there there are some ones that are just always like kind of seminal things that people will tell you to to check out. Like like Watchmen is kind of easy because a lot of people are familiar with the movie. But yeah, we I, I won't mention too many other like big names because we've already mentioned titles i would actually i mean not that i want to get into a big discussion but i would never recommend that to a first-time comic really? reader ever it's very okay. confusing and especially for anybody who's a manga or anime fan that is like the densest text i mean right, it's right. so like it's like reading a book yeah, not that well, reading it, books it, is bad alan right, right. Moore's earliest work you know how alan moore writes he will write for one panel a page description of a letter that's inside of a drawer in a coffee table in the back of a panel that's only <laughs> shown on one page in one issue so the artist gets a feel of what the character's feeling. Yeah, that's how he writes. So of course his dialogue is going to be very heavy. Um, if, if, if you like the whole paranoid, you know, with a sci-fi twist because the ending in the graphic novel is way different than the ending of the movie, um, go for it. But I wouldn't recommend Watchmen to a first-time com American comic reader. Never, okay. ever, ever. I I mean, it was it was one of the first ones I read, which is why I Maybe mentioned it. Maybe that's why you don't but, read uh, it. You're wrong, lot, Evan. Yeah. You're so wrong. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. <laughs> but I, but I was gonna say, um, also, just graphic novels in general are are good to check out. You know, like get get something that is uh, more in line with with manga format. Like you know, it's probably not best to start picking up uh, individual issues of comics like. Uh, anything that, that's kind of published in a graphic novel format is probably going to be more familiar. And uh, my number one recommendation is use your local library yes. because that, then you don't have to buy something and be like, oh man, this was terrible. I wasted my money. I'm never buying a comic again. So you can just try something and then figure out what you like based on that. Assuming your library has comics in it, which a lot of them do at this point. They have graphic yeah, novel Yeah, most sections. of them do. Like, uh, I'm, I live in the Jacksonville area and the Duval County libraries here, they have a graphic novel and manga section in the grown-ups, and then they have one for teens, and then they have one for kids mm. in the main library. It's really pretty awesome. So you can find a writer or an artist and go there and just sit there and read or check it out. And if you like that style of writing, just 
go and go to the shop and see what they have new that's out. Right. And, and yeah, the thing about the library is it allows you to go in there and just, you know, I mean, you can getting recommendations like we gave you is, is definitely really useful, but at your library, you can just pull something out and be like, that cover looks interesting. I'll give this a try. And then, you know, kind of feel it out from there. And more libraries more and more, especially if they're in more of a city area. So if you live in like Orlando or Charlotte or Jacksonville, you know, an actual city area with access to those libraries, you'll get more of a variety. You will have the Japanese manga, you'll have the American mm. comics, but you will also have stuff like Persepolis. You'll have stuff like you'll right. you will have the British printings of Dread in some libraries if they decide to carry it. So you, it's a wider range. Um, I think in Phoenix, they might have some from South America. Um, I haven't been in Phoenix in like five, six years, so I don't know if that's still relevant. Um, but yeah, it, um, there's a lot of options out there. It's not just American superhero comics, and the libraries are becoming more and more diverse for that. All right, yeah, so, so that's it. I'm going to mention one more thing before we, uh, before we go. I've got a little bit of news Hopefully the podcast comes out before uh, this is over, but there is a Kickstarter for a, a film from Masaki Yuasa, uh, who directed Mind Game, Kaiba, The Tatami Galaxy, and I, I'm doing this from memory. I didn't actually write down all the things that he did. Um, but yeah, he did a bunch of kind of like experimental anime stuff. Uh, and I'm actually not a giant fan of him. I wrote an article about why I'm supporting this Kickstarter despite that. Uh, it's an S&M themed love story between two pro wrestlers. Uh, one is called Mask Man M and one is called Mask Man Mask Man S, I guess, or Mask Woman S, whatever. So uh, basically it's just this wacky 10 minute short that they're trying to get uh, kickstarted on, on Kickstarter, you know, get, get funding through the, the crowdfunding stuff. And uh, this is the first time it's happened with an anime. And so I would really like to see this thing succeed. Uh, as I mentioned, I wrote an article telling people why they should support it. A bunch of other people have written articles telling you why you should support it. And so I'm just, uh, you know, reminding our listeners to please go contribute to that. There will be a link in the show notes for that. So you can go uh, and contribute to it. Hopefully I'll get this out, you know, before the, the end of it. So you can still add some money in there, get your rewards and all that stuff. Uh, speaking of the show notes, you can find those at podcast.anygamers.com. Uh, we've got show notes, links, comment threads, and all sorts of other good stuff there. Uh, we also have a website there, www.anygamers.com. That's a blog with, uh, we do news, reviews. Uh, we're currently writing about um, the fall season anime stuff. Um, and, you know, we'll just, we just write about whatever we're, we're checking out lately. So definitely check there. And uh, as I mentioned before, you can email us at podcast at anygamers.com. We appreciate any feedback, positive or negative, or if you have a question or if there's something you want us to talk about. And uh, I know that we had been talking about, you know, that we have a lot more stuff to talk about with this this topic here. Uh, so we're considering expanding on this this podcast, maybe doing another one with this. So if you have feedback and you want to hear about something else related to this uh so maybe you want to see like the reverse of this like uh anime and manga for comic fans or if you want us to focus on superheroes or focus on older series or something like that definitely let us know and you can follow us on itunes uh you can uh, you know subscribe to us there and review us leave us you know a nice review if you like the show uh rachel mentioned twitter earlier uh, Annie Gamers has a Twitter account. A N I Gamers is that one. Uh, my Twitter account is V A M P T V O, and Rachel's is once again Rachel Pandich, and uh, Kate is 
Narutaki RT. Our intro and outro music, uh, which I keep forgetting to mention in the podcast, uh, is the song Kill Me by the band Lame Drivers. And that's it for my outro. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Thanks. Yeah, I always want to talk about comics. Okay. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was that? I'm sorry. I have a new headset, and I didn't know if the mic would pick it up, so I was clapping furiously. It didn't pick it up at first.